Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. And joining us today for a very quick discussion on excise tax is esteemed tobacco control scholars and favorite guests on RegWatch, Dr. Kenneth Warner, Dean Emeritus and Professor Emeritus at the School of Public Health, University of Michigan, and Cliff Douglas, adjunct professor also at the School of Public Health, University of Michigan, and former vice president for tobacco control at the American Cancer Society. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. So we have here in Canada, uh, a federal excise tax about to drop, it go into effect in just a couple of weeks. And that's a big deal. It's, it's caused obviously a lot of issues in Canada. And I wanted to reach out to you because we have you on for another topic for another episode of RegWatch. And so specifically about excise taxes, and I'll start with you, Ken, what do we know about excise taxes? What kind of effect could they have on the use of safer nicotine products? Well, we know from beginning really uh, in 1980 and even earlier than that, uh, that excise taxes, which increase the price of cigarettes, are one of the most effective methods we have for curtailing smoking. Uh, and it has become really a first principle of tobacco control that if you want to reduce the use of the product, you tax it and you tax it substantially. What we've learned lately is looking at the evidence on taxation of e-cigarettes, uh, is that e-cigarettes and cigarettes are substitutes. So that if you raise the tax on e-cigarettes or you create a new tax on e-cigarettes without increasing the tax on cigarettes, at least commensurately, what you're going to observe is a reduction in the use of e-cigarettes and an increase in the use of cigarettes. And this appears to hold true for both adult smokers and for young people. So it is terribly important that people understand that when you impose a tax, it's going to have effects not only on that product, but on other related products that are in fact substitutes or for that matter, complements to the product. And Cliff, taxes have been usually uh, tobacco control 101. They, they have been for good reason because raising the price of tobacco products has, has been seen as the single most effective way to both uh, uh, rapidly and significantly reduce use of those products. So the, the question now, as Ken has highlighted, is whether you uh, apply that principle across the board to all quote unquote tobacco products, whether they're smoked or vaped or, or used otherwise, or do you look at the public health implications of, uh, of taking that kind of step and make sure to the extent possible that you avoid any unintended consequences. So you, you want to definitely use that type of policy approach to disincentivize the use of the most harmful products unquestionably and be careful about how you apply it to those other products that you would want people to use as substitutes for smoked products. So it's, um, it's a pretty big tax increase for Canadian consumers if you've got like a 30 millimeter, milliliter bottle of e-liquid that's say sold for $20 before the tax, it's going to be $40 around that, uh, depending on whether or not a, if a provincial tax was also applied. So we're talking about almost a near 100% increase in the, in the cost of the, the essential product here. You are likely, very likely, 
to see an increase in smoking as a consequence of this. Specifically among the people who the adults who either are or were smokers who have substituted completely or partially with e-cigarettes, uh, this is going to incentivize them to move back from the e-cigarettes to cigarettes. This is this is a public health blunder. Now, is I mean, isn't that then going to lead to more disease and death? Yes. Is there any possible way that that outcome was not foreseen? I don't know who made the decision. I don't know what they looked into. I can tell you that much of the research that has demonstrated that cigarettes and e-cigarettes are substitutes, and hence that pricing e-cigarettes higher will, in relative terms, will increase smoking. That's relatively new research. It's been published in the, in the last, I'd say, three to four years. So it's, it is very possible, and some of it, by the way, is published in the last year or two. So some of it may not have been known to the people who made this decision, uh, I, I, I cannot personally imagine that anyone who truly understands these data would adopt a substantial tax on e-cigarettes without increasing the tax on combustible products by a larger amount. That would make sense. Is there research, Ken, um, in the U.S. that demonstrates what some of the maybe negative consequences after uh, an excise tax has been implemented? Sure. There are several studies. Uh, there was one by uh, researchers at the National Bureau of Economic Research uh, who demonstrated that a, said an e-cigarette tax adopted in the state of Minnesota, which I think was intended primarily to get kids not to use the product, led to an increase in smoking, a decrease in smoking cessation among adult smokers in the state. Uh, and that, again, is just a demonstration of substitutability. There are some studies, and I would say they're less definitive than that one, that suggest that with kids, that if you increase the tax on e-cigarettes and do not increase the tax on cigarettes, that you're going to get some switching back to cigarettes by those kids. So I think the substitutability of the two has become very clear in the literature recently. And there's also a real social justice component to this that I think would be of concern to many people. The fact that the a large percentage of smokers are of lower income, are dealing with mental health and substance use comorbidities, are from the least advantaged or most disadvantaged communities, uh, places them in a position of being more susceptible to price changes. So if those price changes driven by tax policy uh, are handled poorly and incentivize the use of smoked products rather than other products that would be far less hazardous and essentially better for them from a personal and public health perspective, then you are doing greater harm to the more vulnerable uh, members of our society. And so it, it just underscores the, the real problematic nature of not doing this in a depoliticized and more scientific way. Let me throw this out to both of you. You know, as a Canadian, I have to pay this excise tax. And the reason why I quit smoking, ultimately, which was just only a short, you know, six, seven years ago, was the price. The taxation on cigarettes 
finally got to a point where, you know, I was spending $32 a day. So I was a two pack a day smoker and I was just all going to tax. And I, I mean, it literally is what got me to quit and quit by substituting it with vaping. Now with vaping products being, I mean, it's all, it's gone because there's been so many tax increases. And then with this one, literally product that I used to get for 50, $60 is 130, 140. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's not like I'm going back to smoking, but I'm certainly, it's, cer it's certainly being hurt financially um, by vaping because of the taxes as just as bad as it was when I was a smoker. Yeah, when you think about excise taxes in general, and excise taxes are not imposed on lots of products. It's specifically, you know, sin taxes, so they might be on alcohol or, or cigarettes or something like that. Uh, they really should be based on the level of harm associated with the product. So that when we're talking about the family of nicotine products, uh, smokeless tobacco, well, first of all, there should be no tax on FDA or Canadian government approved uh, nicotine replacement products, for example, um, smokeless tobacco products, most of which in the developed world have very modest health implications, not to say that they're safe, but they're much less risky than smoking. E-cigarettes and the other reduced risk products uh, ought to be taxed, if at all, at a much lower level than cigarettes and other combustible tobacco products. As a public health person, I don't object to imposing a small excise tax on e-cigarettes. Well, what I want to see when you do that is that you greatly increase the tax on cigarettes and other combusted tobacco products. Create that gap and you have two effects. By having the modest tax on e-cigarettes, you're discouraging price-sensitive youth from taking them up. By having the large gap, the now wider gap, you're encouraging smokers to shift from cigarettes to the less expensive e-cigarette, which benefits their health enormously. So there is a role for some taxation here, but it's very modest taxation of e-cigarettes and only if you're increasing the tax on combustible products by much more. It seems to me that what there's a whole group of people that are not talked about enough in this debate, and that's current vapors. They're, they are former smokers. They've switched to vaping. They don't got any plan to, to leave vaping. There's a huge majority of vapors that are just want to be happily vaping away for the rest of their lives. And so, you know, all these measures designed to, you know, decrease, you know, uptake by youth. And what about smokers, you know, switching to vaping and, but look, there's millions of people that are going to be impacted by this kind of, uh, you know, excise tax who are just committed vapors. And what are they supposed to do? It almost feels like an excise tax is being deployed here to get current vapors to quit. That's possible. I mean, it's possible that that's the intent. I, I don't know, uh, as I say, and, and it will work. It will, it will encourage some vapors to quit vaping. Uh, as I say, it will almost certainly encourage some to return to smoking, especially those who have not, like you, quit for six years, but those who might have quit for six months or six weeks or something of that sort. They will be much at much greater jeopardy of going back to smoking. 
but yeah, it's it's imposing a penalty on the behavior, and that means that it is intended to reduce that behavior. And Cliff, to put you on the hot seat, are are is the government of Canada, you know, making a blunder here, as Ken said? Well, I mean, it sounds like the government of Canada likely is making a blunder if the taxation is going to uh, raise the risk of there being more smoking uh, than, you know, than now occurs and may reduce the number of people using far less uh, risky products. You know, in, in my experience, advocating and lobbying on tax policy in the U.S. at the federal level and also at the state level uh, across the country over many years, you know, it's clear that legislators are most driven by their interest in new revenues. So, you know, they're clearly they're may, they're the, the, the health objectives that the tobacco control groups are advocating. And that's got to be part of the discussion, hopefully appropriately managed. That's what we're talking about. But the fact is that government officials are interested in bringing more money into uh, federal or, or state coffers to be used for any number of things. And, you know, if they're uh, given to understand, which I think would be correct and can con- confirm that they'll actually do better in that regard by raising taxes on cigarettes, which far more people use, than they will by raising taxes on vaping products. One would hope that might be a winning argument. Obviously, the political process is far more complex uh, than that. But we do have to think in terms of what are the interests of legislators in this area? Some care about public health. Many care about the dollars. Cliff is raising a very important point here. Uh, I believe that the evidence suggests that the price elasticity of demand for e-cigarettes is greater than that for cigarettes. And if that's true, that means that an increase in the tax on or an imposition of a tax on e-cigarettes will drive down consumption of e-cigarettes more more than an increase in a tax on cigarettes would drive down cigarettes. It still would decrease smoking, but you'd get more revenue out of the cigarette tax than you will the e-cigarette tax. You know, one thing to keep in mind is that there is this concept of end game. What's the end game for tobacco control? What is it that we're all seeking in, in all of these efforts that have been going on for so many years? And sort of basic questions. Is it to end all nicotine use? Is it to eliminate to the furthest extent possible all of the illness and death that results from the use of of these or some of these products? Those are very different concepts around this. And I think that part of the bringing together of all of these stakeholders from the various perspectives will have, you know, in part to do with what we agree to as being the end goal here. And I would suspect that most people, when they think about it in these terms, would say, well, we want to eliminate all of this this painful, expensive, premature death from use of these products. And that takes you back to some of the fundamental scientific issues involved uh, in terms of the continuum of risk. Do you accept it and what does it tell us? And then how to go about policy that will take us in, in that direction. But if it's you know, the end of all nicotine use, that's gonna be one's priority. And you tend to hear that from some quarters, then I think we might have a challenge. So the, the issue there is, you know, let's agree on some terms and what it is that we'd like to accomplish. 